If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we'll be at tonight. I was told in college that if you ever get nervous while you, before you get to preach, to tell a joke. I said it always helps. I've never done that. So I'm going to try it tonight. <laughs> My wife isn't too happy right now. She thinks I'm going to say something bad. I read this the other day. I actually took a screenshot of my phone so I wouldn't forget it. So the teacher asked the children in her Sunday school class, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would I get into heaven? No, the children all answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, kept everything neat and tidy, would I, go, would I get into heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well, she continued, then how can I get to heaven? In the very back of the room, a five-year-old boy shouted, you got to be dead. So, I guess that's funny. I thought it was funny when I first read it. Um, you got to be dead to go to heaven. You got to know Christ too. All right, Philippians chapter three. Um, the title of today's message is the Christian's quest to know Christ, and uh, we should have a goal or a quest to know Christ, not only in a salvation form, um, but in a personal, actual relationship. And so, in verses. Uh, 10 and 11, it says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, been made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. And so we'll pray and get started with the Christian's question of Christ. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done for us. Pray that you help me um, deliver this thought and uh, to deliver what you'd have for me today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, salvation begins the eternal relationship of our relationship with Christ. It doesn't begin um, before salvation, and it certainly doesn't end at salvation. Um, salvation is the starting point of our relationship with Christ. And so when Paul is saying here that I may know him, he's speaking of that he may know him on a personal level. Um, for his salvation side, it was actually a verse back in verse 9. It says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness is of God by faith. So that's where he's talking about his salvation. And this point he gets into this sort of this goal or this, this path of what he's on. Um, and to be in Christ, it means to be clothed in his righteousness. Um, and so Paul begins to go into this whole thought of how to sort of get here. And um, there's a quote by F.B. Meyer that says this. It's a lengthy quote. He says, we may know him personally, intimately face-to-face. Christ does not live back in the centuries, nor mid in the clouds of heaven. He is near us, he is with us, compassing our paths in our lying downs and acquainting with all of our ways. But we cannot know him in this mortal life except through the illumination of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We must, we must surely know Christ, not as a stranger who turns in a visit for the night, or as an exalting king of men, there must be an inner knowledge of whom, of those who he counts his own familiar friends, whom he trusts in his secrets, who eats with him of his word of his own bread. To know Christ in the storm of the battle, to know him in the valley of the shadow, to know him when the solar light irradiates our face, or when, uh, when they are darkened with disappointment and sorrow. To know the sweetness of his dwellings and bruised reed and smoking flax, to know the tenderness of his sympathy and the strength of his right hand, all this involves many varieties of experience on our part. But each of them, like the facet of a diamond, will reflect the uh, beauty of his glory from every new angle. 
And so we begin to know Christ. It's something that's totally different every single time we go to him. It may be that he's there to help us in a suffering, and it's a new light that we've never seen before. It may be there to help us in a relationship that we've never even needed him for at that point. It may be there as a time of rejoicing, where something great's happened, we go to God, we thank him, and his presence is there, and it's something that we've never experienced. And every time, it's a foundation that builds upon itself, and it's from a new view. And we have to go to God in that sense of saying, I'm going to get rid of sort of my rituals and come to you in a unique way and find what you would have for me. And so you can know the rules, you can know the preferences of Christ without knowing him. You can know the Bible. You can say, man, I can quote five different chapters. I, can, I know all of what happens in Revelation without ever knowing Christ. And that's where it gets to the point of, is it just a heart knowledge? or is, uh, Sorry, is it just a head knowledge or is it an actual heart knowledge? That's what my mom struggled with for years. She was raised Lutheran, and uh, the Lutherans teach a lot of um, good things, some of the bad things, but their, their doctrine's a little off. And uh, she um, was raised in church, and my, my grandma actually went to a Baptist church for a long time, and then she went to Lutheran church, and my, that's where my mom was raised at. And for the longest time, she told me, she said, I had a, heart, a high knowledge of Christ. I could tell you the Bible. I could tell you everything of how to get saved. I could tell you all these things. But I never had a true relationship in my heart. It wasn't until my mom was in her 40s when she got saved um, at a revival meeting because she realized, man, I know this in my head, but I don't know it in my heart. It's not a relationship. And so many times we have to get point past that fact and we have to get a hold of what truly knowing him is about. Um, the first one here in your notes, uh, I said this, we should never rest until we know him as we know our friend. Um, as our friend, we're able to read without speech the movements of his soul. And a best friend, man, a best friend walks in, you know when they're happy, you know when they're sad. You know your best friend. You know your spouse. You know your, um, if you're a teenager, you know when a best friend comes in and is upset. Um, if you're a husband and your wife walks in, most of the time you can tell if she's in a bad mood. Most of the time you can tell if she's in a good mood. And so it's knowing that relationship. It's the same relationship with Christ. It's knowing him on a personal level. And that's what we're talking about today. And that's what we go through in our notes. The first thing here is knowing his power. Knowing his power. And the first part of that verse says, that I may know him and the power. And the word there, the know there, is, uh, it's meant to, it actually means to be familiar or acquainted with. Um, it can speak of having a transcendent, a transcendent knowledge, but it also speaks of having an intimate bond as a relationship um, and as a friendship. So Paul is saying here that he wants to know the power of Christ. He wants an intimate bond to know the power that Christ had while he was here, he wants that same power. Um, there's two ways he talks about it. The first way is through relationship. Um, every Christian should desire to know Christ in a life-shaping way. Um, and, uh, it says the initial saving knowledge of Christ became the basis of Paul's lifelong pursuit of an even deeper knowledge of his Savior. Um, everywhere Paul went, he told his salvation experience. As I was going through Damascus Road, and he talked about that experience because he wanted it fresh in his life. He wanted that power not to just be, or he wanted that relationship not just to be something that happened years ago that sort of faded out, but man, it was like it happened yesterday. When he was talking to Agrippa, he was talking with so much power, so much fervency, that Agrippa said, Thou almost persuadest me, because he was talking with so much power and fervency. It wasn't just something that happened. It was something that he was proud of and something that he wanted to grow in. Um, 1 John 4 says it like this, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for the love of is God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was the manifestation, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we may live through him. Um, This is what John Milton said. The end of all learning is to know God. And out of that, the knowledge to love and imitate him. So through this relationship, it's literally imitating what Christ did on this world. When Christ was here, he didn't care who you were. He didn't care if you were a Pharisee. He didn't care if you were a king. He didn't care if you were um, the poorest person in the world. He cared about your soul. He loved you. And he wanted to have that relationship with you. Um, I love when he first um, met Matthew. I believe it was Matthew. And right after he met Matthew, all of a sudden Matthew went to his house. And Jesus went with him. And Matthew said, well, there, I've got some party going on. I've got some, because Matthew was the, was the tax collector. Right? Am I right on that? Okay, Matthew was tax collector. And he said, I've got some people over, some politicians over at my house. And Jesus said, I don't care. And they walked in and they said, Matthew, what are you doing with this man? This man, this is the, the crazy man of the city. And Matthew was sort of like, well, this is Jesus. And Jesus came in, he talked with them, he sat with them, talked to them, and they got up and left. Because Jesus didn't care who they were. He wanted to express his love towards them. And that's what we must realize through this, through this relationship is we can't just have favorites. We can't just pick and choose. Well, I'm only going to tell Jesus to the people that look really good or the people that look really bad. It goes to both, both extremes. Are we just going to love the homeless people or are we going to love everyone? And so we've got to have this relationship with Christ that is through Christ that helps us to know who we're going to love and it should be everyone and to have that exact same love toward all people as Christ had. The second way is know his power is through his resurrection. talks about there, it says, um, to know him through the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. So through his resurrection, Paul gladly exchanged um, this, this power of resurrection as a desire to experience its fullness. The word power there is translated to be strength, power, or ability. It's the idea of power residing in a thing by virtue of nature. Uh, This will be the power of God through the Holy Spirit. The Christian has the ability that the flesh could never produce. We die in him, and we rose in him to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that's why the the, the picture of baptism is so huge and so important, because it's a picture of us living our life and being dead in ourselves and being raised in a new life, in a new life of saying, I'm going to go out, not in my old way, not in my power, not in what I have, because that life has been dead through the baptism of that pitcher. And now I'm raised in this new life, in this new spirit, to be able to go out and do what God would have me to do. And so many times people think, well, it's just, baptism's just a pitcher. I've known people who got saved, tried living a Christian life. I'm not saying you can't live a Christian life without getting baptized, but they just knew that there was something missing. And I asked them, I said, well, have you ever gotten baptized? And they said, no, I never did. And the moment they got baptized, it was like a, a renewal in their mind of saying, man, I can actually do something. It's, something was holding me back. And, and, it, and sometimes it's just a mental block sometimes. And sometimes it's just God saying, hey, I want you to do this. It's not a requirement. You don't have to get baptized to get saved. But it's just that first step of identifying yourself with Christ and saying, I'm no longer just going to be myself. I am one with Christ through baptism. And so just as Christ could not um, be held by death, we are also cannot be held by death. There's two things that resurrection does, that this power does for us. The first thing is the resurrection power provides renewal. 
Um, and there's, there's just this, this thought that I know no matter what happens in my life, no matter what trials I may go through, no matter what temptations I may go through, I will one day live with Christ forever. And that renews my mind, that renews my soul, that renews my spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 14-16 says this, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us all, uh, I'm sorry, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through his thanksgiving of many um, rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And so knowing that there's going to be a resurrection, by knowing you're going to live with Christ forever, it allows us to renew our soul. It allows us to, no matter what trials we go through, say, God, renew my soul. Renew the inward man. Renew that spirit inside of me um, to just continue to go on and on. Um, Jack Howells was a pastor at First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. He had his watch set to every three hours go off. And he did that because every three hours he wanted to renew his mind. And he wanted to say, God, every three hours I'm going to renew everything about me. Anything that I did wrong, anything that I did that was, that maybe I, I did something wrong to someone that I didn't know about, I'm going to pray over those last three hours to get my heart right and to get my mind right. Because I want to be the right leader that you'd have me to be. And so it was just something simple that every three hours he did that. But man, God was able to use him in such a mighty way because he was renewing himself continually throughout the day. And so many times, us as Christians, it's not that we don't want to, but we get up in the morning, we read our Bible, we do our devotion, we get energized with Christ. And then we go eight hours without thinking about anything, without thinking about a relationship with Christ, without thinking about our spirit, without thinking about anything. By the time we get home, we're spiritually drained. And we're like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine even going one more step. Because so many times we get to the point where we don't think about Christ, we don't think about what God has for us, and our inner body gets drained. Our inner spirit gets drained. And God says, I want to renew that. I want to renew that through the resurrection and through his power. The second thing that resurrection power does is it provides ministry unction. Ministry unction. Our Christian influence is not bought and cannot be earned, but it is given to us by God. As a ministry, as a local church, um, by knowing the resurrection power, we're able to bring just unction and, and power to go forward through his resurrection. By being able to go out and tell the people that there's hope. And they're going to be able to go out and tell people that there's not just when you die... Your body's put in a, in a grave, and that's the end of your life. There's able to tell them that there's hope afterwards. Um, my mom, she, her, I've got my, she got remarried um, while I was in college, and uh, a couple years after she got remarried, she called me and she said, "I'm, um, I'm at, with my husband's friends, and they they drink and they do some things that um, they're not saved, they're not Christians." And she said, "I'm here with them." And I was having a conversation. I think this guy, this the guy's name was Scott. I don't remember what the guy's name was. She said, and we're talking back and forth. And they asked me, why do you believe what you believe? And she said, well, I believe what I believe because that's what the Bible says. I believe what Jesus, what he came into the world. He died. I believe that by faith. And he said, well, I don't believe anything you say. He said, what I believe is that when we die, we get buried. That's the end of our life. Nothing happens afterwards. And she said, well, Scott, she said, this is what I believe in. She said, I'm just going to weigh both sides here. She said, let's just say for one moment, I'm right. And when I die, or she said, well, I'm sorry, she said the first thing, she said, let's just imagine for one moment that you're right. And everything that I believed over my last life, and everything I've, uh, I've taught my kids, and everything that I've read is all a lie. 
She said, when I die, my hope is in Christ, that he's going to give us his resurrection. And she said, if you're right, the worst thing that's going to happen to me is I'm going to die and be put in a coffin and be put in the ground. That's the end of my life. She said, but on the flip side of that coin, if I'm right and everything that I believed is the truth, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to spend an eternity with Christ. And she said, I hate to say this, but when you die, if what I'm saying is right, you're going to die and you're going to spend an eternity in hell. You're never going to see Christ. You're never going to see your friends and family. You're never going to experience any type of joy. You're going to have suffering and pain for the rest of your life. And he said, I don't care. What I believe is what I believe. And my mom called me almost in tears because she said, man, I'm, I'm wanting to reach these people. I'm wanting to talk to these people about Christ. But yet they don't accept it. Um, six months later, he had a car accident on his motorcycle. Killed him. He's got a, he's got a wife and some kids. It's a terrible situation. My mom prays for him. She's there for him. Um, it was a hard time during the funeral. But my mom was able to talk to him. She was able to give that ministry. She was able to, say, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, try to give someone hope. Not everyone's going to accept it. Not everyone's going to be like, yes, this is the greatest thing ever. Like we think, and not everyone's going to go jump on board. But the best we can do is at least tell people. Christ said to go forth and to tell people. What their response is is up to them in Christ, not up to them and me. They don't have to impress me with anything. And so through this resurrection, through this power, 1 Corinthians 2 says it like this, And brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring you unto the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so he came to him and said, listen, I, don't, I, I came on purpose, not knowing anything wrong about you, not knowing anything right about you. I just came knowing that you were a Christian. And I came not with a perfect message, but just to preach to you the power of Christ and the faith in Christ so that you can have the power of God. And so as he's talking to the Corinthians there, that's what he's saying. In the next verse, in, in, in the last part of um, um, verse 10, it says, being made conformable unto his death. Um, and so it's, here is... Uh, Roman number two is knowing his presence. Number two, know his presence. And the first way we know his presence is through a personal fellowship. Um, and it says, in the fellowship of his suffering, uh, been made conformable unto his death. The fellowship there is translated in the Greek word. I don't usually use the Greek word, um, but I say that as konomia, uh, which is translated communion, communication, contributing, or distribution. And it literally means to suffer for Christ is what this personal fellowship is. Um, one person said it like this, Paul walked with Christ, prayed, obeyed his will, and sought to glorify his name. When he was living under the law, all Paul had was a set of rules. But now he had a friend, a master, and a constant companion. Because with Christ, with a personal fellowship, it's not just a set of rules that we follow. It's not just a stuffed animal that we look at or a little Buddha idol that we can pray to. And that's not our relationship there. It's an actual personal relationship that I can go to God. And the Bible literally says that he wants to know my day-to-day -day actions. Sometimes um, me and my wife will get in the car after work or whatever, and she'll begin telling me all the little things that happened in her day. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Why are you telling me that so-and-so ate a pencil during class? And why are you telling me that a 10th grader went into the art class and ate a crayon? 
I, I don't care. Okay? And I, sometimes me being the imperfect husband will be like, what does this have anything to do with anything? Are you like going somewhere? Do you have an end point? And sometimes it's just like, and not all the time, you know, just every once in a while when I've had a long day and she's had some stuff. And But this is the, the difference there. That's why I said this. It's because she can come to me and sometimes I may get aggravated and I may be like, why are you telling me this? What is the meaning of this? Why did Maya fall down the stairs again? Okay, I don't know what was the, the relevance to that. But when we go to Christ, he wants to know those things. He wants to be like, yes, tell me everything about your day. From point A to point Z, every little detail, just talk to me. And he wants to be there. He's an ear that never is going to be like, well, I really don't care what you have to say now. I'm really busy dealing with the people in Africa um, and ISIS and everything. Come back to me a little bit later, and then we can talk. He never does that. He's just like, yes, tell me. I want to know your daily relationships. I want to have that personal fellowship with you. I want to have that communion with you. Um, John Wesley said this, I want the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. And John Wesley did some great things, but he wanted that, that, the whole of everything. He said, I don't want just a part of Jesus, just a little sliver here and there. He said, I want the whole thing. I want the whole Bible. I want to know the Bible. I want to reach the entire world with everything I possibly can because that was a personal fellowship. And by having that personal fellowship, we're going to want to do what Christ would want us to do. The second thing is an experienced fellowship. An experienced fellowship. So many times, the things we learn the most are the things that we experience. If I don't um, physically put together something, I'm not going to physically know how to take it apart. And sometimes I may take the wrong bolt out first, and now the whole thing's messed up. Especially in a car. Um, I don't work on a lot of cars, but I know um, by talking to some mechanics... You must take out certain bolts first before you take out other bolts. If you take out, um, I don't know, I'm just going to make something up right quick and see if I'm right. If you take a um, piston bolt out before you take the manifold off, could you mess something up, John? He doesn't know. He's not listening. I ain't going to mess up anything. Okay, there's some times where you can take something out of a motor and it can really mess up things really bad. Um, because it's, not out, it's out of order. Okay, And if I don't experience it myself... I'm not going to know how to do it myself. I can have Dawson on the phone with me and Dawson tell me step by step how he did something. I'm trying to redo it and it's still not going to work because I didn't do it myself. And so many times we must experience it for ourselves so that we actually have that personal connection with it. Um, and Philippians 1.10 shows us that when we suffer, we have a, com- a companion in him who suffered far more than we ever will. And he sticks with us to the trials. See, Christ suffered more than any other human, and yet we're able to experience that with him. So many times, um, I did a study on Jesus, um, I think back when I was in college, and it went through, um, because so many people have said Jesus is 100% Christ, 100% man. And I went through some different scholars, and went through, not all the study was mine, but it said that when Jesus was about 15 to 16 years old, about a teenager, um, most scholars believe that his father died around his teenage years, because after um, he was 13 in the temple. There's no mention of his father anymore. Um, so a lot of scholars believe that Christ was a fatherless. He, he didn't have a, a father anymore. And in the Jewish traditions, when a teenager, if it was an old, if the oldest family member was a son, um, and he was in his teenage years, if his father passed away, because most men didn't live past their 30s and 40s during that time because of medicine and different things, um, then the the oldest son 
would take ownership of the home and would become the father of the home. And, and so what would happen was, is at the age of 15, 16, most people believe that Jesus literally became the father of all of his brothers and sisters. He, all the money that he, he had to make all the money for the family. He had to do everything that he put, could do to provide for his mother and to provide for all of his kids, all of his, I say kids, his siblings. All right? And so he literally became the father. So a lot of times we can relate to Christ as a father because he was there as a father. And so um, the second thing that, that happens to prove that is when he was on the cross, he said, he said to John the beloved, he said, John, take care of my mother. And that was a Jewish tradition. If the, if the oldest son who was in charge of the house were to pass away, then he were to hand off that relationship to, that, to whoever was going to take care of it. And so he said, John, take care of my mother. And for 13 years after that, Mary lived with John and his family, and John took care of her. Um, so we know that Jesus could have been a father. He was a father figure, at least. He, was, he knew how to raise kids. He, knew, he went through the suffering and, and the, the pain of kids rejecting him. His own brother that he had to raise, James, rejected him his entire ministry and said, you're a lie, you're a fake, you're not the son of God. And not only until after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Jesus went and personally had a meeting with James and talked to him. And at that point, James was converted. But his entire ministry, his own brother was against him. His own brother was talking bad about him, basically. And that's why when we read the book of John in that context, and John talks about how our tongue can deceive us and our tongue talks, it can destroy so much, because James went through it. He destroyed the Son of God. And not until after he was rose, not after, until after Jesus rose from the dead, he was converted. And so all of a sudden, we see more about Jesus as a personal person, because a lot of times we think of Jesus as a spirit, but he was 100% human here on earth. He experienced the pain of death. He experienced the pain of losing a friend. He experienced the pain of a betrayal, of someone literally turning their back on them and turning them into the law. He experienced all those things as a person. He swept drops of blood because it was in so much pain and so much misery at that point that he experienced those things. So when we go through those experiences, we have someone to turn to who's been through those experiences, and it builds that relationship even stronger because we have an experienced fellowship. Um, a lot of times we build friendships based on experiences that we've had with other people. Um, for Basically, normally teenagers are going to gravitate towards teenagers that are of like um, interests. For instance, if I go to camp with a couple of those teenagers, when I went to camp, all the computer geeks went to one area, all the jocks went to one area. They didn't have to say, they didn't have to get up and announce, okay, if you're a computer geek, you need to go to the back right corner. If you play sports, you need to go to the back left corner. If you um, are an inward person who doesn't like to talk to anyone, you need to come to the front left corner. They didn't divide us up like that, but after the first day of camp, everyone began to grow to their own little cliques because they had familiar interests and they had an experienced fellowship. They, were, they had the same experiences, so they drew closer to each other. And that's what it talks about here with this experienced fellowship with Christ. Through his suffering, we're able to be able to, to know him in, a, in an experienced fellowship way. The third thing here is in verse 11 is to know his perfection. To know his perfection. It says, if, him, if by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Um, the first thing, A, is a spiritual goal. A spiritual goal. The word obtain means to achieve or to accomplish, that is to reach by efforts. Paul never 
got over his own unworthiness to be a child of God. When he says he wants to obtain unto the resurrection of death, he was not showing doubt in God's power to save him. Rather, he was demonstrating his humility and his desire to live in such a way to a child of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am meet to be called an apostle, because I, am, because I persecuted the church of God. He says, I don't know why God's blessed me. I don't know why I've got this, this ability to speak to people, because I consider myself the least of the apostles. He said, I killed the church. I went out and I, I, I was finding Christians to destroy them. He said, and I don't understand how Christ gave me this responsibility, but he's given it to me and I've got a spiritual goal. I've got a goal that I may obtain one day what Christ has for me. The second thing here to know is perfection is an eternal relationship. Um, Richard Mellick, one of the commentators, said this about this relationship. At conversion, believers experience the power of a spiritual resurrection. They're given new life. A new spiritual energy characterizes the new life in Christ. Yet this powerful life only begins at conversion, successfully and progressively. The moral life must be changed, the physical body ultimately transformed. The believer is brought to an eternal resting place of the resurrection heaven itself. The transformation does not happen all at once. It accumulates in attaining of the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection occurs at the time of the Lord's return to the earth. And that will finalize the application of the resurrection power to the Christians. So he's saying here is this eternal relationship doesn't begin when we get when when Christ comes back and takes his children away. But it begins here on earth, and we work our entire life to have this relationship with Christ. That's why when we get to heaven, we get crowns and we get rewards that we're going to cast back at Jesus' feet because he wants to have this relationship with us. And it ends, it sort of culminates at that marriage supper of the Lamb. When we get our new body, when our new spirit's taken up into heaven. Um, and we this happens for two things. And we'll be almost done. We're wrapping it up. Um, we'll give you a couple minutes back at the end here. Um, the eternal relationship is because of our resurrection. Because of our resurrection. And this is related to what I refer to as the first resurrection. And it is only for those who have a relationship with God through salvation. In Revelation, it says like this, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so that's that first resurrection. And it's because of our resurrection that we have this eternal relationship. Because we've accepted Christ, because we have salvation, we now can go forward with this eternal relationship. The second one is because of our glorification because of our glorification Ephesians 1 says this in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchase possession unto the praise of his glory and so through, through these things through these verses here um, in Philippians, Paul is talking about this quest to know Christ. We know his power, we know his presence, and we know his perfection. And by knowing these things, we begin to, to build a relationship, not only of a just a knowing God in a spiritual sense, but knowing God in a personal sense. And so many times we, we, we say we, we love God, and we say we have this relationship, but like I said, it's, it's and I'm, I'm, because I get busy sometimes and life happens, it is just a once a morning, I read my Bible, 
I pray, I go through my prayer list, and I pray and I say, God, help me throughout the day. And then, boom, I hit throughout the day. And the next time I think about God is when I lay my head down at night and I'm thinking, okay, God, what did I do wrong today? And that whole inner point, I said I wanted God to help me, and he helped me. I know he did. But it was not acknowledging him throughout the day. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, instead of going through your life and, and just thinking, man, I'm trying to do this all in my own power, know that Christ is there and he has the power to help you. We just have to accept and we have to reach out and say, God, I want you to help me. The last statement here I said in your notes and we'll be done. It says, Christians know about many and various things. And we should. We should study to show ourselves diligent. Uh, we should prove ourselves by study. The Bible talks about that a lot. It says, but Paul's one greatest desire... The yearning of his heart, his consuming passion, and his relentless quest was to know Christ. Not just to know things, not just to know things about the Bible and to know weird little fun things about the Bible, but was to know Christ. In the end, he said, I don't care, I don't care what I do. I just want to obtain. I want to have, to have finished my course. And at the end, not for everybody else to look at me and say, Paul, you did a great job. No, it was for me to stand before Christ and say, well done a good and faithful servant because that was his goal that was what he wanted that was his entire drive was to stand before christ and say christ did i do good did i do everything you want me to do did i try to reach everyone that came in contact did i make sure my neighbor came to church did i at least talk to my neighbor did i invite my friend did i I do everything you want me to do because that was his desire was to be a servant and to say god i want to know you on a personal level how can i know this these verses and through the whole book of Philippians. I mean, we could have went through so many more scripture, um, but I just picked out those two verses for today. Um, if I get to speak again, maybe I'll do another section of verses out of Philippians. I love Philippians. I love what, what Philippians has to say and what Paul had to say here in Philippians. Um, so we'll go ahead and stand and we'll pray. And I got you out 15 minutes early. So I went a little over this morning. I made up for it tonight. So it's all good. We'll go and play some basketball. If you want to play basketball with us, we'll be playing basketball in the gym or outside on the court after the service, and you want to feel young and and uh, come out there and play. Maybe we'll have Jim come out, our newest retired member of the audience, and he can come out and play some basketball with us. It'll be fun. All right, so we'll pray and get you guys out of here. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our wonderful church and all the people here. pray that you help us to take these thoughts from this morning and tonight and to take it and to apply it to our life as we serve you this week. Um, Some of us have a break and have a spring break and be able to focus more on you, focus on our family, and I pray that you'll help us just to have a great time worshiping you. I pray that you'll help us bring us back on Wednesday and to see what you have for us from Pastor Tony. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.